My, 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 I want you to keep an attitude of worship. You've been worshiping well. The presence of the Lord has truly been manifested here this morning. I am so thankful to have a church that has the manifested presence of God in it. Can you say amen? Amen. In the next several weeks, we're going to be going on a journey together as a, a movement, as a, as a congregation, as a church. We're not only a church, but we're a movement. We are a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are part of God's body here on earth to do his will and his work. How many believe that? You are a part of something great. You are a part of something significant. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are the blood-bought, born-again Christian who has the crown of God's loving kindness upon you and the anointing to break down strongholds around our land. Can you say amen? Praise the name of the Lord. I am going to be on a journey with you. The Lord has been visiting with me, and I'm not saying this uh, arrogantly or anything of that nature, but in the last few weeks, the Lord has visited with me and shook me to my very core. He has visited me in a way that I have never been visited by the presence of God in 32 years of ministry. We're going to be preaching this morning on the value of the presence of God. Next week, we're going to be preaching about the perception of the presence of God. And then we're going into a series that has been uh, developed from a dream that the Lord had given me in the middle of the night. It is an earth-shattering, earth-shaking, life-changing dream. And it will shake you to your very foundation. The Lord ministered to me over about an eight-hour period where I could do nothing but just sit there and listen to him. And we're going to be starting that series in a couple of weeks. And we want every one of you to come out. Also, we have got a theme for our church this year. We'll be revealing that in our message this morning. But in the theme, that there also became a declaration for us to declare. God has declared some things over the palace of praise. Whether you know it or whether you do not know it, we have a prophetic call upon our life. There is a call and a mandate upon us as a church. It's not just simply a, a place where we come into to fellowship and have a social club where we find friendship, but it's a place to where we come in to get fueled and to get ministered to, to get filled with the presence of God, to go out and to fulfill a great commission for the kingdom of God. We have a divine purpose on our hand, and we got a short time to live it out. I will tell you that the Lord is coming soon. So if you would, those of you that had came in and the ushers had given you a card with the word presence on the front of it with a door open, if you'll look on the back of it, it'll have our declaration. We're going to do this every single Sunday morning as we preach the word of the Lord. And uh, we want you to declare this with me as it comes up on the screen. If you do not have a card, you can get one from an usher or you can go out to the welcoming center. We'll have some out there after the service. If we run out of them, we'll print some more. So we'll be looking to see if, if they get low. Are you ready to make your declaration to the Lord? Would you stand, please? <clears throat> Here we go. Lord, today... By faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. 
We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give the Lord praise for his mighty word. Hallelujah in the name of Jesus. I know we'll get better at that as we begin to memorize it as a congregation. That is our declaration. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of St. John, chapter 7, starting with verse 6. You can remain seated for the word today. But I want to get right into the word, and we're going to get what the Lord had put into my heart. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the perception of his presence. And then that third week, we will begin to start also that series that has been developed out of the dream that the Lord had given me. St. John chapter 7, verse 6 through 14. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye unto this feast. I go not up unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but he went as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now look at verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the, tab, uh, the temple and he taught. I'm gonna ask, uh, Brother Williams, would you ask the Lord's anointing on the word, please? Amen and amen. This morning we're going to reflect back and we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday morning, or actually I should say a couple of Sunday mornings ago. We wasn't here last Sunday due to the ice. And those of you that haven't been able to pay your tithes for last Sunday, please try to make that happen so our budgets will not get off track. But last Sunday morning, or a few Sunday mornings ago, I preached a message on the importance of the believers having a level of the presence of God within their life. We believers have to learn how to cultivate and nurture and develop and grow in our relationship with the Lord. And Matter of fact, like in all relationships, we have to cultivate it. We have to mature. We have to grow. All too often, we think just because that we are saved that it automatically means that there's an abiding presence of God in our life forever. It is true that at salvation, Jesus Christ comes into our hearts. We are saved. We are freed. We are delivered. And we become what we call the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, all of that is true. However, last Sunday, we talked about how that when the strong man, which represents Jesus Christ, commands 
commands the unclean spirit or the demonic influence to vacate our life because of our salvation. Yet the Bible says that when that unclean spirit goes out of a man and he walketh through dry places seeking rest and he finds none that he says, I will return back to the house from which I have came from. And then it says that he goeth and he takes seven other spirits worse than, more wicked than himself and they enter in and they dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than his first. We talked about the reason that this demonic spirit was able to return back into his life that had previously he had been driven out of by the presence of God himself. The Bible says that on his return back to this house that he finds this house swept and he finds it garnished and he finds it empty. We talked about how that sin is not the only thing that gives the devil access back into the life of a believer. The scripture makes it plain, plain that he finds this house swept, he finds it clean, and he finds it garnished. This temple that he comes back to is not unclean, it's not unholy, it is not a defiled temple. But the problem occurs due to it being empty. There is a void of the presence of God, there is a void of the strong man's presence. And we as believers have to keep a level of the presence of God in our lives by cultivate, cultivating, nurturing, and maturing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we said a few weeks ago, the strong man that delivered the house and saved the house must also rule in the house. He must be the Lord of the house. How many knows that we got to make Jesus Christ Lord? Amen. He's not just Savior, but he has to be the Lord of our lives. Our theme for this year over our church is simply one word. It is presence. You've seen that on the card that you received and up on the, up on our, uh, up on the wall this morning, upon the screen, you've seen the open door with the word presence. No matter how great of testimonies that we have had within our past, and we've got some great testimonies. We've come from, uh, from a, 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 a far off, and, and we have come to become something in Christ. But no matter how great of experiences and supernatural encounters that we have had in our past, and even though those events were pivotal points that, that launched us into God's divine destiny for our lives, they were life-changing moments that caused us to gain momentum and they were faith builders that marked us. Yet even so, they cannot be what defines us. I want you to know we cannot build upon something that happened 10 years ago and make that the pivotal point of our lives and trust in that single experience or encounter for future expansion and growth both spiritually and numerically. We have to realize that future expansion and growth in our lives and in our church only comes by a level of the presence of God. Are you with me this morning? The events of the past should never define us by us thinking that it was the climax to where nothing else will ever compare to what we experienced or accomplished yesterday. We cannot make a golden calf, calf out of our encounter or our experiences that we have all had because God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above anything that we're even able to ask or think by the power of God that worketh mightily in us. Can I tell you, this tells me that no matter how great my past was, I want you to know my future is greater. No matter how good God was in my past, yet he has greater plans for me and within my future. So quit looking back and crying over the good old days. I want to tell you the best days that you've ever got is ahead of you and not behind you. Your best days are not going to be defined by what was taking place yesterday, but what has taken place now, tomorrow, and the next day. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord place for your hope for future. Can I have an amen? 
I want the palace of praise to know we have just started. I've been here 32 years and we have seen some mighty things, but my eyes have not seen anything yet because my future and your future is greater than it's ever been. And I anticipate something marvelous in the kingdom of God for us. And I understand the earmarks of miracles that's on the way simply because God has not defined me by my yesterday. My, my defilement comes by the level of the presence of God in me today. Can I have an amen? So we have to work on this thing called relationship. I cannot allow myself to become stagnant and satisfied and complacent and stale in my relationship with God by allowing a moment of time to define who I will, who I am. Because who I am cannot be defined by the level of God's, uh, by, by the level of what God done in my past, but what God's doing in my life today. Can I tell you, I am only become defined by the level of God's presence in me right now. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 16 and 11. He said, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. My life is not defined by a set of events that has or has not happened in my life, but my life is defined by the presence of Christ in my life today. He makes known to me the path of life, and in his presence, what is there? fullness of joy. I have to continually grow in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, I need to be filled with the fullness of God according to Ephesians 4 and 11. I want to talk to you this morning on the value of the presence of God just for a moment. The first thing that we see prior to our text in John chapter 7 verse 2 and 3 is that the Jesus, his brethren, invites him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles with them. Look at verse 2 of that same chapter. It says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. Verse 3 says, And his brother therefore said in him, Depart hence, go into Judea with us, that thy disciples also may see the works that you doest. The feast of tabernacles fell at the end of September, at the beginning of October. It was by, by law a festival that every male Jew who lived within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem was legally bound to go up to. But devout Jews from regions way past the 15-mile radius delighted to go up to it anyway and join in regardless of the, the miles that they had to travel. It was something they looked forward to. This feast lasted for eight solid days. Here Jesus' his brothers comes to him and urges him, come on, go up to Jerusalem with us to this Feast of Tabernacles. Actually, I want you to understand that Jesus was bound by law he was actually obligated by law to go. It was commanded of him to go, being a Jew living within the 15-mile radius. However, we see that in our text that Jesus rejected their invitation, and he went in his own good timing. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 8. Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. Now here we see that Jesus rejected their invitation to go up to the feast at the time that they gave him the invitation. As a matter of fact, look at what verse nine says. When he had said these words unto them, he still yet abode in Galilee. Now I'm building a sermon, hang on with me. We don't know exactly how long that Jesus remained in Galilee, but by most scholars and by the studying of the scriptures, it looks like that he remained about four days. We believe this because in the midst or in the middle of the feast, which would be the fourth day period, the middle of the feast, the feast being eight days, the middle of it would be four days, it says that Jesus went up to the temple and he taught. So we know that's about the day that he arrived. And even though Jesus said that he wasn't going to go up to the feast, yet look at what verse 10 says. Very interesting. But when his brethren were gone up, they went. He, then went he also up into the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. 
Now, that caught my eye, and I thought, what in the world? Now, if you're not studying the scripture, you would think that Jesus just lied here. Here they come and say, go up to the feast with us. And Jesus says, I'm not going to go up to the feast. My time has not yet come. They go up to the feast, and then the Bible says, then Jesus went up secretively. It was as if Jesus lied to them or deceived them. But Jesus did not lie. He did not deceive them. Jesus just delayed his going to the feast, and he went some days after his brethren had already gone up. His brethren went up, according to the word of God, the first day of the feast, and then somewhere around them four-day period, Jesus goes up to this feast. But notice it says he went up not openly, but he went in secret. Why did Jesus go up, first of all, on the fourth day? What is so important about the fourth day? The number four derives its meaning from the creation. On the fourth day, God completed the material universe. On this day, he brought into existence the sun, the moon, and all the stars, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 through 19. And this, their purpose was not only to give off light, but it was to divide the day from the night on the earth, this becoming a basic boundary of time. In other words, they were also made, the stars, the moon, and the sun, to be a type of signal that will mark off the days and the years and the seasons. It's what created seasons. It's what made a 24-hour period. It's what created day and night. It's what created weeks and times. And interesting enough, the Hebrew word for season in Genesis 1.14 is moed, which means appointed time or divine appointment. So the fourth day or number four means a divine appointment or divine order. Now let me stop right here and ask you a question. How many want a divine appointment with God? How many want to be in divine order? Amen? How many How many of you want your steps ordered of the Lord? How many wants the anointing of God that you know without a shout that you're in the perfect will of God for your life? Well, this number four is very significant. This is the earliest known allusion to what would later be called the holy or feast day periods of worship. Let me explain this. Just as there were seven days of creation, which is the number of completion, there would also be seven feast days as well. And isn't it odd, the fourth commandment, the divine order, the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. There were actually seven feasts in the Old Testament that was to be kept holy, seven different days. There was the Feast of Trumpets. There was the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. There was the Feast of Tabernacles, the first Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, being 50th, the, which is also known as Pentecost. There's Passover and there's Unleavened Bread. Them are the seven feasts that they were commanded to keep holy. The Sabbath day is tied directly to the Creation Week, which represents seven days. And God himself made the period between Friday at sunset and Saturday at sunset to be a Sabbath time, a time of rest. All of the other six days was hinged on the seven-day rest. Even so, this tells us that God's appointed time or God's divine time would hinge on the seven feasts appointed by God. Throughout these seven feasts, throughout Israel's history, it would be a time that God would manifest himself to Israel. He would make himself known. How many is ready to see God make himself known in our midst? Are you ready? I can't hear you, church. You're quiet tonight. All right. Now, this would divide the light from darkness from ignorance to enlightenment. In other words, divine appointment means what? A divine visitation. 
It means to have an appointment with destiny. It means to have an appointment with God. Divine appointment means divine revelation. It, it takes out darkness and it adds light. It's the illuminating presence of God. Wherever there's a divine appointment, there's fresh revelation from God. Y'all ain't getting this. And this is why, why that all throughout the Old Testament there were, that we hear the prophets declaring, this is the time of your visitation, it has come. We also hear the descriptions, the day of visitation, the time of visitation, the hour of visitation, the year of visitation. And these visitations mainly happen throughout the seven feast days of Israel. Now, however, we also know by the Jews' own example that it was possible for us to miss our time of visitation. It is said for the reason of the destruction of the Jewish people in Luke 19 and 44, because thou knewest not the time of your visitation. They were destroyed because they did not recognize their appointed time, the time of their visitation. They did not recognize the manifestation of God in their midst. Oh, God help us. According to Galatians 4 and 4, it says, but when the fullness of time was come, the divine time, the appointed time. God sent forth this son made of a woman made under the law. Jesus came to his own, the Jewish people on his own received him not and because of that, they were destroyed. And it is believed that Jesus was born on the feast of first fruits. Why do we believe that? Due to prophecy, you can trace it or get as close, really close to the actual birth date of John the Baptist. And we know that Jesus was born how many days? Six months later than John the Baptist. Because you remember when Mary went to Elizabeth and gave her the salutation that she was pregnant? Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John, so John was six months older than Jesus. And guess what? History tells us that John the Baptist actually was born, after he was born, six months later, I want you to know, was what they call the, the feast of first fruits. God's appointed time had come. His divine time had come. Jesus was revealed to the Jewish people on one of the feast day events. But even though he was born, robed in human flesh, the manifestation of God on earth, Jesus being interpreted Emmanuel, God with us, they did not recognize it. And they missed the time of the divine appointment. And it was during a feast moment when they should have been expected to understand that God wanted to reveal somebody to them. However, there is something very unique about the passage that we just read. Notice when, what Jesus said to his brethren when they asked him to go to the feast of the tabernacles in verse six. It says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Many, many times Jesus spoke about his time, didn't he, throughout scripture or his hour he would use phrases like my time has not come or my time is at hand or my hour has not come or it's my hour. He would always talk about that, wouldn't he? And this was always in reference to his appointed time, his accepted time. It was from the Greek word hora. It spoke of his destined hour of God or his set time appointed by God. The time or the hour was not movable or avoidable. It was a predestined thing for him to go to. It means that he had to be accepted without argument and without alteration because it was the plan of God. It had already been decided and predetermined it must happen. When Jesus said, my time is at hand, it was the predestined appointed time of God. However, what is so unique about the phrase in our text is that he does not use that same Greek word hura here when he speaks about his time. He uses the word, the Greek word keros. 
And this is the only time that he uses this phrase that I could find in all the New Testament. It's the only time. And it means opportunity or the best time to do something, the moment when circumstances are most suitable. Jesus was not saying that his destined time had not come because we know he had to go to the Feast of Tabernacles to obey the law. He was predestined to go. He was not saying, my predestined time is not here. That's not what he said. But Jesus saying, at the time that these brethren gave him the invitation, look guys, this is not the best time for me to go to the feast right now. The circumstances are not suitable at this moment. The atmosphere is not right. And as I begin to think about that, I wonder if there's times when God is predestined to meet with us, but he has to say, I can't go up right now. The atmosphere is not right. The circumstances are not suitable. He was saying, this is not the time which would give me the chance or the opportunity to do what I was called and manifested to do. He was saying, the opportunity isn't right. Even though the divine appointment and call is upon me, there's a mandate, I have to go up. Yet, the people have not prepared for their divine appointment and it's hindered me to go up the time that I should be there. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, is that possible in our day as well? Come on, somebody help me preach right here. Even though it was predestined for Jesus to be at this feast, yet he had to wait for the right opportunity. Four days later, there had to be a four-day delay before Jesus could show up. Oh, God. There may be delays in his divine appointment, but you will not stop him to fulfill his mission. Can I have an an amen for that? Could there be divine delays of his presence at the palace right here in our midst due to us not making ample opportunity for him to be here? Could we be void of him because we're not making room for him? Oh God, help us. Look at verse seven. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify that the works that they do thereof are evil. Even though it was his divine time to be at this feast, yet it was not his divine time to die. And Jesus knew that if he showed up prematurely to his divine appointment, that he could possibly get out of divine order in that that, uh, oxymoron. Jesus knew when it was best time for him to go up. He knew when it would be the, the most safe, the most proper time for him to join the feast without without hindering his call or his predestined purpose. If he would have walked in with the brethren, they would have known who he was. There would have been disaster. And by him coming four days later, he secretively, or as one commentator said, he went in disguise. Jesus had to go up unrecognizable by coming away the where they would least expect him. And I got to look into that and I got bothered by the Holy Spirit. Due to their irreverence to his presence, Jesus had to come disguised. Though disrespected, yet he still shows up. It's kind of like in the garden, isn't it? When God used to come down and commune with Adam every single day in the cool of the day. They had sweet communion, sweet fellowship. But when Adam sinned, he went and hid himself from the presence of God. That did not stop God from showing up. God, though disrespected, irreverent presence, yet they did not have a reverence for his presence, yet God in his ultimate love still shows up, though disrespected. 
And I'm here to tell you no matter how we act, no matter how irreverent we are, no matter how ugly that we are, no matter how much we stink, I want to tell you that the presence of God is still here in our midst. Why? Because he has a divine appointment. He has a divine destiny. He has a call. He has a mandate. He has a mission. And he will not abort it due to cause by our neglect. Hallelujah. Don't you love that? God's faithful when we're not faithful. Did you hear that? Is it possible that Jesus is here among us this morning? But he's in disguise due to our irreverence of his presence. Could it be that he's coming away that we do not recognize him because he's destined to be with his people? But is it possible that you and I could miss the time of our visitation because we do not have respect and honor and humility before the presence of God? He's here, but he's not active. He's here, but not accomplishing purpose. Just like when it says that he would go into Bethany and he went into his even hometown and in those two places he could not do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Present, but inactive. Present, but hindered. Present, but not fully manifested. Folks, if you get around me very long and you keep talking in a future tense, I'm gonna rebuke you. Because I wanna tell you, it's not what God's gonna do six years from now that's gonna matter, what God's doing right now. And we are in manifestation, we are in a manifestation season. Quit talking about what God's gonna do and be what God said he's already declared and begin to see the manifestation of God. Right now, he's in our midst. Can I have an amen? Look at somebody and say, we're in manifestation season. There are several words that the Lord's been putting into my spirit about concerning his presence. There are words such as humility, humble yourselves in the sight of God, and in due time, he will raise you up. Reverence, honor, respect, them things are gone from off the earth. We don't respect the office of presidency anymore. We don't respect the office of Congress. We don't respect the office of senators. Come on, it's gone. Many don't respect the house of God. Many don't respect a lady. Respect and honor is gone. Look what it says in verse 13. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Even though they sought for him, looked for him, yet they dare not speak openly due to the fear of the Jews. How many of us want to encounter Jesus? We want to see Jesus. We want to experience Jesus, but we don't want to declare Jesus. Hello? If you think we've been radical in 32 years and you've been hanging here with the skin of your teeth, you might want to move on because I want to tell you, you think we, if, if we've been radical in the last 32 years, you ain't seen nothing yet. If we Pentecostal somehow upset your apple cart and we embarrass you, you might want to sit a little bit further to the back because, honey, let me tell you something. We're going to start declaring who he is. 
without fear and without intimidation. We are who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are the anointed, called of God. Can I have an amen? We dare not, in many circles, lift up our hands in outward open displays of worship. We dare not lift our voices of praise and adoration. We dare not magnify and glorify and shout his praises. We dare not go down to an altar and seek his face and lift up our voices in prayer. What would you know people think? We dare not get radical and show outward emotions. We might embarrass ourselves. We dare not let him bless us and experience his real Pentecostal power because we might be viewed as weird or as a radical. And so often we're more concerned about the things that we fear and the things that intimidate us more than we are the presence of God himself. We're all about image. Sometimes we're more concerned of what the crowd is or isn't doing more than what God's doing or what God's up to. Sometimes we're more concerned about what the crowd thinks than what God thinks about us. These people refused to speak openly due to fear. They just wanted a, a reserved relationship. Christ cannot manifest himself in a reserved relationship. It has to be a relationship of reverence. He must be Lord. Are you with me? Watch this. We disrespect the presence of God when he is at the forefront of everything that we do. He is the reason that we've assembled here today, church. The reason that we are here is because of his presence. Enter into his presence. Enter into his courts with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. We are here to assemble for one reason and one reason only, to honor and to worship and to magnify and to glorify the presence of Jesus Christ. Would you just stand to your feet right now and praise him? Come on, give him some radical praise. You might as well get started into it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Holy Spirit. What we're doing right now is setting an atmosphere that's conducive to manifestation. Are you understanding? We're wanting to see the manifestation, aren't we? You can be seated. I'm building sermons. I'm building a, a, a structure to the, for the series that's about to come out. Sometimes I think Jesus hides himself also for the sole purpose to get us to seek and to search after him. All too often, folks, you and I, whether we know it or not, take his presence for granted. Sometimes I think all God is willing to do is to give us a glimpse of his presence, but he refuses to unveil himself before us like he did Moses to where we can see him face to face. This is what the whole book of Song of Solomon is about. Go read it. If you start out in first, the first chapter and start reading it, it ain't very long where you find Jesus, the beloved, going for his beloved, the church, and the church is locked up behind closed doors and it's full of apathy and then she's lying on a bed and she hears the voice of the beloved but she can't respond because she's full of apathy. And he loves her so much that he's calling her by name and knocking on the door and she cannot arouse herself enough to get up and open the door to let him in. 
And so he begins to go by the window to try to give her a glimpse of who he is. And then he starts putting his fingers through the door line to try to give a glimpse that it might arouse her out of his sleep. And then if you'll go on a little farther, winter time is almost past, springtime has come, the turtle dove is singing, and all of a sudden he's calling his beloved, come out, come out from where you're at. And he's behind the lattice work and he's putting his fingers and, his, and he's trying to get a glimpse through the lattice work so she might be sparked to affection and come out and be and, and run away with him to where they can have love one toward another. And somehow I believe that God loves us so much that even when we're irreverent, when we take his presence for granted, when we lock ourselves up and we become cold and, ind- and, and, and indifferent towards the presence of God and we're full of apathy, though he cannot unveil himself, he gives us glimpses of his presence. Sometimes I think that God does that to create a hunger. I'm gonna have to hurry because I'm running out of time. And matter of fact, when you get to looking a little bit later, you'll find that they'll say, where is he? Where is Jesus? They expected him to come. They sought for his presence because there was a four-day delay. I want to just stop and say, sometimes the delayed presence in your life, the delayed manifestations may be there for a reason. Check and see if you're irreverent towards the presence of God. He may be four days late, but he's always right on time. If you don't believe me, notice that when he comes secretly, It causes them to search for him. And after four days of delay, they begin to seek him. They expected him the very first day, but he didn't show up. So the delays may be for a purpose to create a hunger in us to where we understand that, folks, we need the presence of God. Amen. If you're having problems in your home and Jesus ain't showed up yet, maybe you are to begin to see whether or not you've disrespected or have an irreverence or dishonored the presence of the Lord in your life. Do you remember, I'm getting ahead of my notes, but do you remember where else he showed up four days later? It was at the tomb of Lazarus. They knew he was to be there. They expected him, anticipated his attendance because of his divine appointment. But is it possible that we too expect him, anticipate him, believe that he'll show up? Has he not promised where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in the midst? I want to ask you something. Has he not promised you that he'd be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? Has he not promised you that he would never leave you nor forsake you? Then why is his presence sometimes delayed? And why is it that sometimes his presence is not manifested before us that we even recognize that he's there? Mary believed, she anticipated, she expected that he would show up and heal Lazarus. Her brother dies and when when he finally shows up and manifests himself, it's four days later. There's that four days again. Jesus showed up at an appointed time and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Do we just take his presence for granted? Believing that he will always be there regardless of our actions and our attitudes and our mindsets toward him when we gather? Jesus wanted to go to the feast the very first day. He was predestined to go, but the problem was the atmosphere was not conducive to his manifestation. Is our atmosphere here this morning conducive to his manifestation? Is it right? Are we truly ready for the presence of God or does he have to come disguised? Does he have to initiate a response for us by withdrawing his presence to create a hunger? Does he have to create a hunger amongst us by lifting and creating a void of his presence for a while so that we will cry out to him? Are we taking his presence for granted here at the palace? I was reflecting on the world's affairs the other day and I was thinking of how that 
the world's affairs must be offending the heart of God. And I was telling the Lord, and not really in a devotion, but more in a meditation. I was just thinking, and I was thinking out loud, and I said, Lord, how the, I said, I began to repent. I said, how, Lord, the American culture must be upsetting you and dishonoring you. And I began to expound of all of the things, how they're taking his name for granted and how they're using his name in vain and how the politicians are using scriptures to profit their, profit their political movements and how that they're just using him and abusing him and all the things that's done in the name of the Lord. And I was just so upset and all of the different things that's going on in the culture, the abortions and, and the murders and all of the evil stuff. And I was just repenting for our nation and I was saying, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry that our nation has offended you. And then all of us sudden the Lord said to me how about you I said what do you mean Lord he said you've offended me and I said how have I offended you Lord he said by taking my presence for granted he said just like at the feast there are many times I'm in your midst I'm in the midst of the palace but many times they don't even recognize that I'm there you take my presence for granted and I become a way too familiar to you. You have treated my presence as just common ground as a common thing but he said wherever my presence is it's holy ground can I have an amen? He said, do you not recognize the special grace that I have put over the palace for years? He said, there's been people that have stood griping about a lack of my presence while me, while I was standing right there in their midst and they didn't even know I was there. What's happened to the church? Why don't God do this anymore? What? And God says, and while they're saying all of that murmuring stuff about my lack of presence, I'm standing right in their midst in disguise and they don't even recognize that I'm there. He said, I have given this palace of praise special grace. He said, do you not recognize a level of my anointing, a level of my abiding presence, not only upon you as the people of God, but he said, I have set an atmosphere upon that hill. He said, do you not understand that, do you not hear that there are people talking about, there is a drawing that I have placed upon that hill by my presence. And he said, yet y'all come in and y'all see things on a regular basis and you just treat it as just common stuff as it, that's just a religious thing that happens when in reality, none of that would happen without my presence being behind it. Every tear that comes out of an eye here in this service. Every person that walks down to an altar, every time someone cries out, every time that someone prays a prayer, every time a visitor comes in, every time a hand is lifted, every time a musical instrument is played up here upon this uh, platform, every time money's put into an offering plate, every time uh, a gift is given, every time that someone gets up and sings under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God has given so many gifts to the palace. Every bit of that stuff is the presence of God. Every message that's preached, every lesson that's been taught is nothing more than God's presence abiding in earthen vessels and we've taken it for granted. God began to just lay it in my heart that we need to be repent, repentive of our irreverence and lack of humility before the presence of God. He said, I'm here, but many do not even sense me or recognize me being around. I have to be in disguise because the atmosphere is not conducive to the manifestation he said, you will not see me in the whirlwind and the fire or in the earthquake like Elijah until you become sensitive to the still small voices. There will be no mountain shaking, rock rending, earth shattering moves of God until y'all be able to discern my presence. 
Do you, under not, do you not understand the value of my presence, he said. When the disciples were out in the boat and the storm came, Jesus came walking on the water and the Bible says and he would have passed them by unless they cried out the more. Do you think Jesus would have treated the immature that way? Absolutely not. If that had been a bunch of uh, new disciples that didn't know anything about the Lord, do you think he would have passed them by if they were immature because they didn't cry out? Absolutely not. He wouldn't have. But to the mature, he demands us to be sensitive to the presence or he'll pass us by. How many are ready for a fourth day visitation? How many are ready for the divine appointment? Then we must create an atmosphere conducive to the manifestation. In closing, I like what Philippians 4 and 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. And I just begin to, th I've been thanking the God for his presence. I've been just worshiping God because he's faithful to me and my wife, to the church, and I've just been honoring him, and I've been reverence to his presence. And the more that I come to reverence his presence, all of a sudden, God's beginning to send me earth-shattering, rock-renting moves of God that I've never experienced in my whole lifetime. That as a pastor, he said, Kent, do you not realize that Every time you have a water baptism and 15 and 18 get baptized, he said, do you not understand that there's churches all across America today that literally have baptisms that they use for storage because no one gets saved? Do you not understand that in most churches there's never nobody that makes a move to an altar? Do you not understand what kind of grace I've put upon you and what kind of presence is in your midst? I can take you as a pastor right now all over this town. I've been here for 32 years pastoring in this community. I can take you and I can show you earmarks where there were buildings in certain corners where there were two and 300 people gathered in buildings and they were noted for the housing, the presence of God. I can take you to that very corner where there was nothing but people jam-packed 20 years ago and now the building is empty and sometimes the building is gone and the whole entire congregation has disposed itself and they don't even exist anymore because somewhere along the way they lost the inhabited presence of God by taking his presence for granted they lost their humility they lost the sensitivity to the holiness of God oh Lord and I refuse to allow that to happen to the palace of praise would you stand with me, please? This is a different sermon, I know. We're gonna get into some other stuff about the presence. But we can't go on in deeper presence until we have a respect and a reverence for the presence that we have. I want you to look at somebody while you're standing there and say, we're blessed. Look at somebody and say, we're highly favored. You know how many churches don't even have a praise team? They have to play tapes because they have no talent. Come on. You know how many people have zero prayer warriors, elders to help a minister? He does it all by himself. Do you know how many churches are void of the different giftedness that we have at the palace? Every one of you are a cherished, chosen possession that God has placed here as a gift from God. You're not here because you've been just decided to walk into the palace one day and make it your home church. You're here because of divine appointment. You're here because of a fourth day event that took place in your life. 
And because of that divine appointment, it's God positioned you here by divine presence. Amen. I'm thankful for every leader, every teacher, every servant, whether you're a janitor, a bus driver, whatever you are, I want you to know you have a level. You're housing the presence of God. There's purpose in your life. And I do not take it for granted. And I thank God every day because if God brought them, God can disperse them. If God blessed us with them, God can take it away. What we're going to do here this morning as a congregation, we're going to repent of our irreverence towards the presence of God. Oh, didn't we taste him this morning in our worship? Are you thankful for that? You know how I want you to be thankful for that? I want you to give praise right now to the Lord for all of these people that are allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through them. Thank you, Lord. And I want you to understand that the earth is becoming shaken and you're going to be shaken and you're going to be tried and you're going to be going through some stuff. In that time, you have to declare this is the manifestation season and I'm not going to sit around and whine and say, where's the presence of God? Because I want you to know God has promised that he has a predestined time with you that he would never leave you nor would you forsake him. He is predestined by his own word to be there. So quit saying, where is he? And start looking for him and saying, Lord, I receive your manifestation in the period of my circumstance. I open to declare that you're here. You may be in disguise at this moment. I may not understand it, but I am not. I am not aborting the progress over my life by doubt and dismay and by murmuring and complaining and by a set of circumstances. Though I don't understand it, yet you are here. Though I am not liking what I'm going through right now, God, yet I understand and declare your presence is with me. You will never leave me, nor will you ever forsake me. You're bound to me by your holy way. You have an appointment time with me every single day and wherever I walk you walk wherever I go you go you're by my side you seal me with the Holy Spirit and quit talking all this negative and defeat and doubt quit cursing your divine appointment hallelujah I don't want to hear anybody in this church say, well, why don't God do what he used to do? God's doing more now than he's ever done. Just open your eyes and look and see and taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't curse your family. Don't curse your children. Don't gripe about your set of circumstances. Declare the righteousness of God in the midst of the doubtful, uh, the doubtful uh, circumstances that are taking place in your life. Because I want to tell you, when you begin to deni- denounce the Lord, the darkness comes and looms you, and you miss the day of your invitation, and it brings death upon your home. Start declaring you being the righteousness of God. Amen. Though he may seem delayed at times, he'll be there. Brooks and Misty, I don't understand why you're going through what you're going through, and I'm expecting any moment now to get a report that all of a sudden, every cancer cell and every tumor and everything that's in that body is just dissolved. In Jesus' name. I've been praying that. But until that happens, I keep decreeing that which God has spoken. 
And I don't back down for nothing. Amen? And until he shows up, declare his worth. Declare his glory. Make your atmosphere conducive to the manifestation so that which you desire to have can be manifested in you. Don't curse it or you'll die. Time to grow up. Time to declare what the word of the Lord has spoken of. Whose report are you going to believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Amen. Right now, I want you to start declaring with me one more time. I, I tell you how I think I'll close it out. Put the guys, put the declaration back up on the board if you can. Is it up there? I hope they can hear me up there. If you got your card, you ready to read it with me? There you go. Are you ready to read it? This is the way we're going to close out today. We're going to go slow. Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We no longer are victims, but we're victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now rejoice. Rejoice. Declare his word. Declare his promise. Hallelujah. Oh God, I love him here this morning. We're going to get into his presence in the few weeks to come, but I want to tell you right now, you may be here and you may be lost. You might not even be a Christian. There is a draw for you to come running to the throne of grace right now. If you need to be saved, you come up here and we'll pray for you and we'll get you saved and we'll declare you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and everything that the covenant has to provide for the believer will be a part of your prophetic promise in your life. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. I love you, church. But it's time for us to do our part and quit waiting for God to do everything for us. Start walking out your faith, speaking your faith, declaring your faith, living, breathing, talking, sharing, witnessing, declaring, declaring over your life these things that God has spoken and you'll see them come to pass. I promise you they will come to pass in Jesus' name.